right. Well, those of you who are online, if you're you know, there, or whether it's you're joining us from Cornwall, Canada, or Orleans, it's good to see you. Of course, everybody uh, who is here, it's wonderful to see you. As Pastor Laurie just said, we're going to complete uh, week 10 of looking at our different series because this is a different season by looking at how God moves. And so again, uh, today we're going to be talking about what happens when all of us use these things that we've been talking about all summer, these spiritual gifts together. And so again, once again, so whether you are in any campus joining us online, uh, it's wonderful to see you. I want to honor Pastors Barry and Joyce who are in Cornwall, of course, Pastor Terry and the team in Canada. But in particular, over the last three weeks here, uh, you've been led wonderfully by Pastors Jeff, Rhonda, and then Pastor Terry last week who spoke about singleness and martyrdom, really easy topics. And so he dove into that, which is really great. So we're going to continue today. And here's what I want you to know. There's two lenses that you can hear today's message through. The first lens is I'm not enough. And the second lens is this heart cry of God, would you move? Man, I pray that it's B because there's no heart from my heart towards yours. There's nothing that I want to communicate would ever be that we're not enough. But here's all that I know is that we are in a season where we need God to move unlike any other season that I've seen in my lifetime, that we need God to move. So again, there's two lenses. You get to pick which lens, but man, I pray, for those of you who are online or here, I pray that it's B. I pray that your heart would be stirred for God to move. You know, in the chat, you can write the word yes or whatever, but how many of you know that God is always moving? Whether you can see it or not, God is always moving. God's moving is not conditional upon anything that we do in one sense. That God can do because he, can, he is sovereign. He can see all things. He's all powerful. He's omnipotent. He can do whatever he decides to do whenever he decides to do it. God is always moving. Every single day, people are coming to Christ. Every single day, people are being water baptized. Every single day, people are being filled with the Holy Spirit. Every single day, people are confessing sin. Every single day, churches are being birthed, but also churches are closing. Every single day, God is moving all around the world. Every single day. Every day, through the interconnected body of Christ that all of us are using our spiritual gifts that God's given us, people are hearing and they're opening their hearts to Jesus. They're being water baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, and then we're serving one another every day. Again, if you only look on social media, you may not see it. If your only worldview is, is, is social media or just news, you may not see what God is doing because it doesn't often reach those platforms or penetrate those platforms in the same way. But every single day, God is doing this thing through ordinary followers of Jesus, regular followers of Jesus. And sometimes we, in particular with the Word of Faith people with us today, you may be even bristling a little bit when I say that we're ordinary followers of Jesus or regularly followers of Jesus. But here's what I want you to know. There are no superstar followers of Jesus. We only have one superstar, it's Jesus and us. And we want it to be that way because oftentimes if we believe that God uses superstar people, then we look at our ordinariness and we go, well, man, I'm not them, so I disqualify myself. In Jesus' name, no. God uses every one of us, just regular, ordinary people, again, with the gifts that he's given us, which may be different. They may have different capacities, and that's okay, but it doesn't make people superstars. It makes all of us followers of Christ. And so God is using this interconnected body of Christ, but 
There are times and there are seasons and there are moments that you can see throughout history of the last 2,000 years. There are, when God moves, there are these intensifications of what he is doing all the time. And so instead of seeing people in a geographic region saved in 10s and 20s and 30s, all of a sudden you see people saved in 50s and 100s and sometimes, yes, even thousands. There's this intensification of what God begins to do when people have hearts that are humble, who are backed into a corner of crying out to God of obedience, who are tired of doing it their own way and surrender and trust God and ask him to move. And I believe that this is the type of fresh move of God that we are asking for God to move wholeheartedly within Canada during this season. You know, oftentimes we can often think about moves of God this way, that we pray prayers like this, or we hear things like this, like, don't offend God with dreaming small. He's the God of the impossible. I mean, so don't offend God with dreaming small. He's the God of the impossible. And yeah, I love that. Because sure, he can do impossible things, and I'll share one from my own life in just a moment, but of course, God can do impossible things, but I don't think it offends God when we dream small. In fact, I think oftentimes, it's not the dream that's the problem, it's the steps that we don't see that are the issue. So we may have the correct dream, but not see the amount of steps that it's going to take to get there. And here's what I'm going to say in this moment. Oftentimes when God begins to move in your life, in my life, in a city or in a church, oftentimes he begins to move so small, seemingly insignificant, that it isn't only until years or perhaps even months later, normally years later, that you can actually look back and go, oh my gosh, that's when he began to move. Because it seems so small and it seems so insignificant that we always miss it. And so here again, I don't, think, I don't think there's anything insulting. I think we should dream really big dreams, but here's all I know. Don't be afraid of dreaming really, really small. So as much as I believe in dreaming big, and I do, I also wholeheartedly believe in dreaming really, really small, so small, so specific, where all that is left is a single step of obedience, where you are in this beautiful space, backed into a corner, and all you have to take is one step. Small is how God starts moving really big. In fact, as I said a moment ago, God starts to move often so small that it can only be perceived when we look backwards. A story that I would share about that was there was a church in Marysville, Washington in 1997. This town had 63,000 people in it. The church was a couple hundred people at the time. And the students showing up on a given Wednesday night, there was between 10 and 12 students on a good Wednesday. 10 to 12 students on a good Wednesday. They had a youth pastor come to town who had been praying and believing God to move. And so he was in ministry for a season, a year or so at the church. And every single Friday night, unbeknownst to anybody in the town, he never said anything. But every Friday night for all Friday night, the entire Friday night, all night, he would gather by himself just to pray for God to move. Do God, would you do something in students' lives? Would you do something in students' lives? Would you do something in students' lives? And guess what? God answered his prayer. And in this small town, a couple hours north or south or geographically distanced from Seattle, 63,000 people in the whole town, God began to move. God began to move specifically with young people. And in this church in Marysville, by the time I showed up in the mid-90s, they had between five and 700 young people coming out every single Wednesday night. In fact, there were more young people coming to the church than adults in the church at the time, which caused some interesting conversations around the church. 
But Pastor Benny Perez had a heart that was yielded to God. And I'm not simply saying, well, because he did this, God did that. But God always looks for someone with a heart that is broken. Someone with a heart that is saying, you know, I'm just going to humble myself and allow God to use my life. Again, what preceded this big move of God, this move of God where literally, literally, literally addiction centers in the city would bring those students to the youth service because kids were getting set free from meth and heroin instantaneously. I'm all for therapy and I am all for process and I am all for treatment and I am all for a God who can do in an instant which takes us a season. I am not anti any of those things. God, would you use all the tools as we've done through spiritual gifts? Come on, church. He's the God of healing, which is a process and he's the God of miracles, which are more rare, but they're instantaneous. He's the God of all of them. All of a sudden, this began to happen and the church just began to just cry awaken. But what again, it started with is if you're going to see God move out here, first he's got to start to move in here. And that's not a him thing. That's not a pastor thing. That's a you thing. That's a me thing. Let's hear what this, this cry for personal renewal. Anytime that God begins to move in a nation, in a church, in a group, in a city, in a geographic region, he always uses people. God who could, could do whatever he wants, however he wants it, chooses to use his bride, chooses to use his church, and he uses people who have their hearts renewed by the Holy Spirit of God. It is personal renewal that happens on the inside and In the Old Testament, David is called and he's anointed to be king. But somewhere along the way, he uses his power and his privilege to serve himself, not to serve others. He abdicates what it means to be a spiritual leader in every which way. And he commits adultery, and if that isn't bad enough, then he murders. And as I said just a second ago, uses his power for pleasure. He doesn't confess, but he is caught. It's a quick side note, a very quick side note, but a significant one. God's primary method for personal renewal is your and my confession. James says that we're to confess our sins, confess our faults one to another. So again, in the chat right now, just type in your deepest, darkest secret. Just go for it. That's a joke, by the way. Or just, you know, if it was here and it was normal, just turn to the person beside you and tell them, like, your deepest, darkest secret. Just go for it, right? No, don't do that because that's the person you're sharing that with may not be a trusted person. Please don't do that on the chat. Okay? So God's primary method for personal renewal is confession. But here's what I want you to know, and you've seen this season unfold this week. You've seen this season fold in the last season. God loves me, and he loves you so much that he's not afraid for you to be exposed. His primary method is confession, but he's not afraid for you to get caught. Why? Because he loves you so much that sometimes when we get caught, the thing that needs to die is our pride. And sometimes we need to get caught because our hearts are so bent, they're so broken, they're so impure that we need to get caught out of his love for the abuse that's happening underneath that person's leadership. He loves them so much he's not afraid for them to get caught. But his heart is always confession. But he'll use both. And so this is David. David does not confess. He's caught. He's caught by a prophet by the name of Nathaniel, or Nathan, I should say. Not Nathaniel. Is it Nathan? Nathan. Nathan? Nathan. We're going to go with Nathan. If, I could be, if that's wrong, it's heresy. I'll fix it later. But he's, he's called out by a prophet, and he's caught. And when he's caught, he has two choices. Do I continue in the lie? Do I continue in the facade? Do I continue to power up, or do I absolutely repent and own it? And David repents and owns it. And here's the sound 
I want you to listen to the sound of personal renewal. I want you to think about the sound on Twitter right now. I want you to think about the sound on Facebook right now. I want you to think about the sound on Snapchat right now. I want you to think about the, the sound on TikTok. I don't know. I'm not on TikTok. I want you to think about the sound of, on social media. I want you to think about the sound of the world in which we live in. And I want you to contrast it with this sound. Here's what David says when he's caught, when he's dead to rights. He says, create in me a clean heart, O oh God and renew a right spirit within me. He is not being self-focused. He's not being selfish. He simply understands that if my heart is not made new, I have nothing good to give. And so God, would you humble me? Would you create in me a clean heart? Because my heart is dirty. My heart is a mess. My heart is broken. And would you renew a right spirit within me? What he sees is, man, if I'm not only called and anointed to take, over, you know, take out Goliath, but that's one part of my life. That's like the good part of my book. That's like the chapter that I want to tell. But here's else who what I'm capable of. I'm capable of adultery. I'm capable of murder. And so God, would you create in me a right spirit? Because that spirit is not aligned with your Holy Spirit. That spirit is not aligned with your side and our side. And then he says, cast me not from your presence. In other words, I have no access to your presence. I have no right to your presence, but take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation, what it is to know you, what it is to worship you when I was a young shepherd in a field. Would you renew and would you restore this heart that I once had that now has got cynical and jaded, and critical, and I can see all the faults, and I can see all the problems. I don't just see pure worship. I don't just see people. All I see are problems. All I see are issues. All I see are isms. All I see is division. God, would you stir these things? Would you renew my heart? And then he says, then, and grant me, and uphold the willing spirit. Then, after you have personally renewed my heart, then I'll teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Church, we have a generation that wants to teach everybody else how to live, but doesn't want to get their own heart right first. They don't want to stand before God and say, I'm a part of the problem. I'm the issue here. Now, I may not cause all the problem, but I'm part of the problem. All we want to do is tell everybody else how to live and how they should live their lives, never first getting it right on the inside. Church, let me be first at Life Center to say, I am the problem. I am part of the problem of saying, God, would you move afresh in here? Lord, when I look at the city, may I not just see arguments. May we see people. May we not just see division. May we see needs. May we see desires. May we see brokenness. May we see pain. May we see all of these things. But God, may we not just say, well, I'm not the problem. They're the problem. I'm not the problem. I don't see wrong. I don't see this. I don't see that. God, would you start in our hearts to say, Lord, we're the problem. Search our hearts and know our hearts, oh God. I heard on social media the other day this person crying out saying, you know, enough, enough, enough with the God of grace. We want the God of justice. And my heart trembled, literally trembled within me because what deception. Yes, I believe wholeheartedly this is a time for justice. Yes, yes, yes. But do you so delude yourself to think that when the God of justice shows up that you're automatically on the right side? Here's all I know. Here's all I know. If he is not a God of grace, then I cannot stand with a God of justice because I am absolutely bankrupt before a just and a holy God. In fact, the prophet Isaiah said, my righteousness, the best it is, is filthy menstrual ranks. That's what the prophet Isaiah said. That's, that's the best we can do in and of our own selves. Oh, I'm longing for a time where we not only look to solutions left or right, but we as a church have the courage to look up 
And then when we look up, we can look in and say, God, search our hearts. Search our hearts, oh God. Jesus told a story that I think is so beautiful. And let me give you a quick Bible school lesson here, okay? Uh, If you're going to sign up, it's awesome. When you're reading the Bible... Uh, rule number one, especially in the New Testament, especially when you're going through parables, never assume that you're Jesus. Jesus is always Jesus, and you ain't him. I'm not him. No pastor is. No church is. Don't ever do that. Don't ever assume when you're reading a parable that you're Jesus. Number two, don't ever assume that he's not talking to you when he's talking to Pharisees. Don't assume that he's not addressing you directly. When you read a parable, here's all I know. I am either the woman in need getting chucked at his feet or I'm oftentimes the other one being self-righteous. Jesus alone is Jesus. I'm often either A or B. I told you at the beginning, you can see today's message through two lenses. One is like, man, I'm not enough. Or two, you can actually just humble yourself and say, God, I thank you that I'm not enough, but that you are more than enough, that my salvation is not rooted in my behavior. It's on a bloodstained cross, an empty tomb, and a poured out Holy Spirit. So you can either view it as this heart cry, God, you want me to, God, can you move? Or you can walk away going, man, oh man, I'm not enough. Rebuke that spirit in Jesus' name, but let him renew a right spirit in us that is not afraid to admit God, we need your help. We need you to move. And so Jesus, here's what he said. Two men went up to the temple to pray. So they both do the exact same behavior. They're both going to the exact same culture, the exact same thing. It says that one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. How many of you know, if you pray like that, you're already in the weeds. Okay, let me take one more step. Do we post this way? God, I thank you that I'm not like. Is our righteousness built on how we think we're better than others in some way, shape, or form? Good questions. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax, like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Those are good things. So pause. So a Pharisee is rooting his righteousness in good things. And Jesus is saying, actually, your good things are still not enough. And in fact, it's not only that we need to be saved from our bad things, our sin, that we have to also be saved from the good things that we do that we believe make us more righteous than others. As I said a moment ago, my righteousness, if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, which I do pray never doesn't happen, but if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, here's all I know. I don't stand before God saying, I was a pretty good person. I think I stood up for the marginalized God. I, I think I helped, you know, lead and pray and build a good church. No, no, I stand in the righteousness of Christ plus nothing. If Jesus did not do for you and for me what he did, we have no leg to stand on before a righteous and holy God. All have sinned and fall short, but oh, this gift of grace. And then you have this tax collector And it says that he was standing far off and he would not even lift his eyes to heaven. This heart that is contrite, that is broken, that recognizes the injustice of his life. He wouldn't even lift his heart to heaven, but there's this thing, he just begins to beat his breast. And that is an idiom, a Jewish idiom of repentance, of a heart that is broken, just of a woe is me, that I am undone. Saying, God, be merciful to me. A sinner. And here's what Jesus says. It's a story. But I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. 
For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Church, scriptures like this scare the living life out of me. Why? Because both were doing the exact same thing. Both were praying. Both thought it, they were close to God. One was and one wasn't. The one who felt that he was absolutely broken was actually closer to God. And the one who thought he was close to God was blind because he wasn't actually even near God's heart. So we as a church can't be a place of saying, man, we got it all together. Hey, we as the church can't be engaging in a culture war when we need our hearts changed on the inside out. You know, but yet when a particular people in a particular place truly humble themselves, surrender, pray, turn from sin by turning to Jesus, he chooses to blow the wind of his Holy Spirit over those people. And in that place, you can begin to see a gathered people and a church begins to wake up. So what starts with personal renewal, we've told the story about Marysville and Pastor Benny Perez. I've told you a story about, we've read one in David's in the Old Testament, one individual, and now we're looking at a story that Jesus told to hear the sound of personal renewal in our hearts and in our lives. But what starts to happen is if you begin to renew and you begin to be renewed, and you begin to be renewed. And those of you who are online, a few of you, if we begin to be renewed, all of a sudden this connection of personal renewal in a church all of a sudden creates this atmosphere, this humility, this contrite heart, this broken heart. And all of a sudden, all of these moments where the Holy Spirit is beginning to move and there's personal renewal, now you begin to have a church that begins to go into this thing called revival. And revival is what happens, this intensification of the everyday moving of God's Spirit being localized in a church a city or a region. It becomes an epicenter of a move of God which can have ripple effects all throughout a nation. It can have ripple effects as you can look through history and you can see it. But it's individuals whose hearts are broken. It's individuals say, God, would you create in me a clean heart? It's individuals who no longer say, well, God, it's just a little bit of porn and it's okay. Other individuals who come alongside and say, well, it's just a little bit of, it. it's just a little bit of gossip. It's okay. Or it's just a little bit of this. Or it's just a little bit of that. Or it's just a little bit of envy. It's a little bit of slander. It's people who come alongside and say, God, would you absolutely rid all of it from our hearts? None of it is okay. All of it only leads to death. So would you create in me a clean heart, oh God? May I not be filled with self-righteousness that I do all of these things and miss the beauty in the heart of God. May we beat our hearts and say, God, would you move in our hearts? If enough people begin to do that, all of a sudden you see churches begin to wake up. And revival is the appropriate word because that which is sleepy or apathetic all of a sudden just wakes up afresh. That which is lost becomes found. That which is dead becomes alive in Christ. And amazing things can happen. There's a Moravian community in Hermit in Saxony in 1727. And they started what they thought was because there was just apathy and apathy and apathy and apathy. And here's all they knew. We can't root it out through natural means. Church, we cannot use politics to absolutely unleash principalities. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. We have to engage every Mitch method. Yes, yes, yes. A thousand times yes. I'm not saying that. I am just saying once again, if our solutions are only left or right oriented, but not up oriented to who God is, we're going to find ourselves. Our struggle's not against flesh and blood, though we got lots of that too. Our struggle's not against flesh and blood, but it's against powers and principalities and rulers. It is why the enemy, the one who is not on our side, always devalues prayer. He always puts prayer as a last resort in the life of a Christian when it's actually the primary weapon. Why? Because he knows that's where power lies. So this group of Moravians, they began to pray. You know what happened though? This little, little community began to pray. 
in the Hebrides. They had a prayer meeting that started one day and it didn't end for a hundred years. Nonstop, continuous. A hundred years they began to pray. And from this little island, they sent over 300 missionaries all around the world that God used to bring the gospel to places that had not yet heard the gospel. All around the world. Why? Because a group of people said, Lord, would you move in our midst in a way that is unprecedented? Would you move in our midst in our way, in our lives, in our church, in our city? God, you can use my life. They had a group of people. Here's what I'm trying to get at this morning. Sometimes we want God to change Canada, and I want him to change Canada. I don't want him to make Canada. When I talk about God changing Canada, I'm saying, not saying, Lord, would you make Canada more like me? God, would you make Canada more like you? Would you make it more like Jesus? That's a big dream. So the Moravians wanted God to use their lives to touch the world. That's a huge dream, but it started with this little moment of what if we just began to pray together and then we sent out one missionary and then second missionary and a third missionary and a fourth missionary and all of a sudden 100 years later and 300 missionaries. Again, you can only look back and see where God began to start because it just started with a simple single prayer meeting. That's it. And God began to move. In 1994, there was a church led by a divorced couple named Pastor John and Carol Arnett, a divorced and remarried couple that if you know anything about 1994, that was a hot button issue. And God chose them and their church at the little end of a runway in Toronto, Toronto Airport Christian Fellowship, and they baptized that church in understanding the love and the father heart of God. And people came from all over the world to experience the love of God, and God used this little church at the the end of a runway in Toronto, Ontario, to do something extraordinary. In 1995, God used a church in Brownsville, Pensacola, Florida, where the pastor one day took his keys out of his pocket, his church keys, and slammed them down on the altar and said, I'm absolutely done. I'm burnt out. I'm I'm done. I'm done. And I believe the God of heaven looked down and said, finally, now I can move. And move he did. And here's all I want you to know, that God used that pastor, that church, to get a hold. And then the Holy Spirit used that. And Lori and I went down. And here's all I know. I went down there as a broken, bitter, angry individual. And in an instant, God absolutely set me free and gave me a heart back of love, compassion, and just a softness on the inside. Something that could only happen through a, through a move of God, not just, you know, hey, listen, I'm, I'm all about process, but God did in an instant and changed the trajectory in the course of my life and our, our lives. And we saw ripples of effects of it. Did you know that in Argentina in the 1990s, there were entire prison blocks there were entire prison blocks that came to know Christ. Entire prison blocks. And how do you know when God really begins to move? It is not only when inmates and convicts, which is what they were, it is not only when they begin to confess their need of Christ, but then the country began to look at how do we actually then begin to those who are healthy and those who are willing, to those, how do we begin to engage a process of reconciliation? And so for some within Argentina to see spiritual strongholds break over a nation, there were prisoners who were in prison for murder, began to meet with family members of those who they have done the wrong to. And it wasn't only one side asking for releasing forgiveness. It was the other side, full brokenness, full repentance, 
repentance, confessing not only the wrong that they had done, but the right that they didn't do, the right that they took away, the right they took away for the person's life that they took, that that person couldn't contribute, couldn't love, couldn't marry, this and that, and begin to repent of all those things. And God began to work. Yes, they remained in prison, but God did some reconciliation work in the midst of it. That which you can't do through human means, God can orchestrate in moves of God things that are extraordinary, above and beyond the heart, not only for justice, but the heart for reconciliation, for God to do alone what God can do. Again, so personal renewal can snowball into moments where God breathes this revival presence. And revival presence is primarily for the church, but then actually it can begin to move there. It can move outside of that where you don't only see God begin to move in churches, you see these things called awakenings where cities and nations are stirred to what God is doing. But again, as I hinted at just a moment ago, please, please, please do not miss this essential distinction. A move of God is not making people people more like us. It is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Together, we are becoming more like Jesus. Because if we don't understand that distinction, then all at best we're going to be, oftentimes, there's not even intentionally, but at best we become is self-righteous Pharisees. The heart of the scripture, the parable that Jesus told, is both were sinners and both needed to become more like Jesus. Church, that's where we're going in the season ahead starting next Sunday, whether it's in Cornwall, Canada, or Orleans, or online. That's where we're going. And here's all I know. I do not have the answer for everything that ails the culture. I don't have every ism. That's where we need every gift, all the body of Christ, those with wisdom, those to engage all those things. We need the fullness of the body of Christ. But this one thing I know, we, each one of us, need to be more like Jesus. We need to listen more like Jesus and love more like Jesus and learn more like Jesus and lead more like Jesus. So we as a church, that is going to be our theme for the next season moving forward. God, would you make us more like Jesus? Ottawa doesn't need more Christianity because Christianity is us and all of our isms. Ottawa needs more Jesus. Ottawa needs more of who he is. Again, look, I'm not trying to paint a false dichotomy against like Jesus and Christianity. I'm not at all. I am just saying that Christianity is often the humanity or humanisms within a belief system. And here's all I know. As I said about 8, 10, 12, 15, I don't know, however many minutes ago, I want us to be a church and we want to be a people that again, with humility, Don't look at others and think we're better than, but we come from a place of absolute brokenness and humility, not an insecurity, but a confidence of who Jesus is and admit, God, that we all need to become more like you. Those who don't know you need to find you, but then once they find you, the found in Christ need to live more like Jesus. There are many of us today who are educated in our head about what Jesus is, but we don't live like Jesus. We don't think like Jesus. We we don't live the way Jesus did. We are addicted to technology. We are addicted to being connected. But Jesus knew how to disconnect and just be with the Father. Did you know that most Christians today, 95% of Christians this week, did not pray one minute outside of grace over a meal? 95% of Christians in North America did not pray at all, at all, at all. We want to live like Jesus. You know what Jesus said? I can't do anything unless I see the Father doing and he began to pray. Here's what I know, church. It's not the rest of Ottawa that needs Jesus. It's all of us that needs a move of Jesus in our midst. It's every single one of us that needs Jesus. It's, if you're on the right, it's not just the left who needs Jesus. And if you're on the left, it's the right. No, no, no. It's we all need Jesus. And we have the courage to say, God, we need a move. 
We need you to move in my life. We need you to move in my marriage. We need you to move in our family. Come on, if you're not worried about the next generation, if your heart isn't stirred in this season, God, we need you to move. We need a fresh move of you. I've been on vacation for three weeks, so I'm a little full. (laughs) Why do we share this today? Well, two reasons. Hopefully just to awaken a fresh hunger for the Holy Spirit to move. And then secondly, why have we been doing different all summer? Why have we been talking about spiritual gifts for the past 10 weeks? Why have we been doing that? Just to fill time? Because we had to do something. No. Here's why. You know what stops moves of God? Because if you're like me, you should be asking the question, well, if the Moravians prayed and, and it lasted for 100 years, well, why, why did it stop? Well, God, if you began to move in the 1990s, why, why did it stop? You know why moves of God always stop? Because the burden of ministry falls on too few and they burn out. But not here. Because every single one of us who have surrendered our lives to Christ are filled with the Holy Spirit. And every single one of us that are filled with the Holy Spirit are given a spiritual gift for the common good. And so we've done spiritual gifts in different all season. Why? Because a move of God is not a platform thing. It's a people thing. It is you and I having hearts for personal renewal and that a couple of us and more of us begin to again pray together, engage together, even if it's online in this season. Listen, God is not limited by a pandemic. He can move powerfully in different ways. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 to 7 says this, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of service, but it's the same Lord. There are a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another... Are you hearing a lot of to another's, by the way? That's you. Your name should be going in there. To another, to another, to another, to another, to another, to another. Faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing, prophecy, ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of those tongues. All of these are empowered by the one and same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as the Holy Spirit wills. Church, we need one another and we need a move of God. We need a move of the Holy Spirit. Canada needs a move of the Holy Spirit. Canada doesn't need to become more like the church. The church and Canada need to become more like Jesus. And that's where we're going. So here's my prayer. I pray that you don't have a spirit of a Pharisee that looks around and goes, well, I'm not as bad as fill in the blank. I pray I pray that we wouldn't try to change everyone else without allowing God to first change our own hearts. That we wouldn't be the critics of the world, but the wounded healers that God has called us to be. 
I'm in. Imperfectly, but I'm in. Those of you online, those of you here, are you? Together, we'll see. God, would you do what only you can do? Heavenly Father, we pray for personal renewal. We pray for revival in Life Center and in every church within Canada. Father, we thank you that you are equally, Abba, Father, approachable and gracious. And that you are justice. That you are holy. That you are unapproachable light. That you are lamb slain for the forgiveness of our sins. And that you are roaring lion. Father, I pray not that we can in our futility and foolishness. But I thank you, God, that you cannot be domesticated in any which way. That you, again, are fully our Father. And you are fully just and right and holy. And Jesus, we do pray in this time and season for justice. We pray for principalities that divide to come down in Jesus' name. Father, we pray for a baptism of repentance. We pray for a baptism of humility, a baptism, God, of true righteousness that comes at the expense of self-righteousness falling, God. In the midst of this season, Father, we need a move of you. So move, God, and do what only you can do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.